This show is for informational purposes only and is not to be construed as legal advice. Always consult an attorney for legal advice. Views expressed by guests show are individual opinions and not endorsed by Mayadri. Hello everyone, thank you for joining us and listening to the Mayadri podcast between trains, conversations with Mayadri. I'm your host Nalini Ray with my production team member Daman Tiwana welcoming you all to this episode. In today's show, we will examine how gender inequalities increase the risk of gender violence and hinder victims' abilities and options to seek protection. We will also shed light on the importance of improving community responses in preventing all forms of gender-based violence and abuse. In our work with survivors of domestic violence, we have noticed that traditional oppressive and patriarchal gender norms are actually connected to gender violence and abuse. And these patriarchal norms are harmful for individual well-being, they're damaging human dignity and human relationships. So it's crucial to have discussions on this issue to identify those harmful gender norms and create some actions that can eliminate those oppressive conditions, cultural conditions. Taking part in or listening to this kind of discussion will not only help us in challenging those harmful norms, but also reflecting on our own behavior. Today, we have three community members, Deep, Madhu and Jagan Dutas, and I'm very excited to start a conversation with them to find out the constraints and challenges that have held back progress in eliminating gender-based violence in our community. Let's find out the patriarchal order which shapes unequal gender relationships, norms, and attitudes that overlook gender violence. Let's discuss what we can do at an individual level and at a community level to eliminate those harmful cultural conditions. Before we jump into our conversation, I would like our guests to introduce themselves to our audience. I'm G. I was born in Srinagar, India, and I spent a good chunk of my childhood there. I moved to Bay Area to work in tech 30 years ago. That's what I've been doing. Been married also for 30 years to a very amazing, wonderful woman, confident, adventurous. And I have boys and girls. So I have a very wonderful family and work environment. That's all I do. Hi, everyone. My name is Madhumeta. I live in the East Bay with my husband and our four-legged daughter, Eva. She's an Australian cattle dog. We adopted her last year and then 2020 happened. So honestly, we're so glad (laughs) that we adopted her. I think she's made our 2020 a tad bit easier. I work for an SF-based tech company as an HR professional. So in my capacity as an HR professional, I work on a lot of initiatives that relate to diversity and inclusion initiatives. So this topic is definitely very close to my heart. And outside of work, music is a big passion and I pursue music. I play a musical instrument, give local performances here in the Bay Area. So very excited to be here as part of this podcast and sharing my thoughts on this important topic. So thank you, Maitri, for for this opportunity. Hi, everyone. My name is Jagan. I'm a postdoctoral research fellow at Stanford Plastic Surgery. I grew up in Bhuvaneshwar, India, and I moved to the U.S. about 10 years ago. I've been living in the Bay Area now for four years with my wife, Vaishali. She works at uh, UCSF, Gladstone Institute, so UCSF. 
I just want to start off by saying that I've been learning more about the work that uh, the team at My3 does. It's really fantastic, really important work. So congratulations to you and your whole team for the work you do. I'm no domain expert on the topic, but I'm here to participate as a involved community member and here to learn as well. Uh, thank you so much for having me on the show. Thank you all for taking time and coming to our show. Let's start our discussion with knowing your individual perspective and experience on gender roles and gender violence. All of us are Saudation, but we are from a different background and we are diverse in our experiences. But let's see if we have any commonalities among our different experiences. My question for you is, what are the dominant gender-based norms that treated men and women differently you saw while you were growing up? And do you see any change in terms of gender-based expectations in the South Asian communities while you are here in the U.S.? I can speak to that. So I grew up in Odisha, where we have English medium schools where all the teaching and instruction is done in English. And then we have Odia schools where the local language Odia is used for all instructions. The English schools were more sought after, more expensive. So that was the social norm there. Now, there is an issue with prioritizing English over the local language, but that's for another day. But given the situation, I was friends with these two people, a brother and sister. Their family was under some financial constraints, and they, at that point, had decided to send the boy who was my classmate to an English school and the sister to an Odia school. And the logic was that the boy will use his education to get forward and the girl would not. And I remember that being very shocking. That led me to think that this must have been a very difficult decision for the parents. But at the end of the day, the decision was led by a thinking that the boy's education was more important than the girl's education. Mm. And this type of thinking was there in you know different forms at different stages. For example, being career-oriented is always seen as a positive trait for the man. For women, it's always seen as, I think, a secondary thing, something you have to do in addition to taking care of family and the kids. So there's an undercurrent of that that I saw in even some progressive families, which I think is one example of the gender-based norms that I have faced growing up in India. I think there are some things that do become better in the Bay Area, but some of the undercurrent underlying thinking remains the same. So it's not a problem that is completely solved. Even if sometimes we think we have solved the issues, they do crop up. So I think it's very important to be vigilant of these issues and sort of identify them as an issue, explicitly define them and educate ourselves and our friends and our children to be aware of them as and when they keep cropping up. I think I have something very different from what Dragon has said. So it was interesting to hear Dragon's point of view. I did not mention this in my intro, but I grew up in Chennai in India. So there have been two norms that I would say that I've observed and faced myself. One is that women as a gender is weaker than the male gender. Or, you know, I can say the other way around where men are expected to be strong. So just that associating an attribute of strength to gender is a norm that I've repeatedly seen. And the second one I've observed is women have to know and do certain things by certain age. Right. So these are two things that I have repeatedly seen as a pattern. And to give an example for each. So, you know, on the first one about strength and gender, like any other girl growing up in India, I've been a victim of verbal abuse, sort of a physical abuse growing up in India because I, at a very young age, I was using public transport. 
So it's not a problem that's very unique to me. I think every girl in India, unfortunately, faces things like this. And there was this one point in time where I observed that there was the group of guys who always used to pass very abusive sexual comments when I used to come out of the school and walk towards the bus stop to take the bus to go home. And at the beginning, I was just saying, okay, I'll just ignore and the problem will go away. Right? I'm not going to give them attention. I'll just do my thing. But it actually didn't. So at some point in time, it got to me emotionally, mentally, and I went to my mom crying for help. That day, what she said, I think, has made a big difference in how I look at things. And it's made me a lot more confident as a woman. And she said, and of course, I'm paraphrasing. And she said two things. One is when you have threats outside and you face threats outside, you don't have to rely just on your physical strength. It can also be your mental strength and smartness. And she said that because I was a very small, petite figure back then. So that did play into my confidence. So she made that point. And the second point she also made was, you know, when you face threats outside, don't show your fear, show your confidence. So she said that next time these guys continue to pass on the comments, take your shoes in your hand and show them what you're capable of. Retrospectively, as I think about those things, It made a big difference in me because as a community, we tend to think women being the weaker sex need protection. They have to be protected. So here, as a mom, she could have easily taken the solution of saying, oh my God, the world out there is very dangerous. So from now on, I'm going to drop you and pick you up from school. Very easy solution, right? I didn't have to go through any of those mental torture. But she chose the second way to say, I'm here to support you. You have to be self-sufficient. So that made a big difference in me to it built a lot of confidence in me to say, okay, I I can't take care of myself. It's not like I'm weaker, right? So the confidence was a big thing. And and what it also manifested later was when actually later I saw men who were like groping women in public transport and all of that, I was willing to raise my hand to say, hey, come on, these guys have to be kicked out of the bus because they're doing something. And so when I did that a few times, I noticed other men and women also raised their hands and said, yes, we noticed too, these guys have to be kicked out. So it's happened quite a few times. So that made me realize that the aspect of allyship and support is so important here. So I think that has stayed very strongly with me. And the second norm I was referring to, I think, which will also lead me to your second part of the question, Nandini, is women having to know and do certain things by certain age. This particular norm, I've seen it both in India and in US, it's not changed in my opinion. I've had many people ask me at various points in time, whether it's in the US or in India is, oh, you don't know to tie a sari? How old are you? You're from a Brahmin community. And I've jokingly asked, I mean, is knowing to tie a sari a qualification to be married, to be a married woman? And in fact, I've heard it more here, South Asian communities here in the US. And in some sense, I feel like when we move away from our home country and from our homes, the tradition, the culture, values that we've grown up with, we somehow hold on to it much more closely than our friends, family counterparts in India because we think that's our identity. So in some sense, for us here, time has frozen. And back in India, they're actually probably moving in a lot of cases a lot more forward than what I've noticed in communities here in the US. I have also seen that some, you know, our community members, they expect uh, women to know something, to know, to follow their responsibilities and to keep your family intact is women's responsibility. Serve your husband or most people think that it is your responsibility. Why the 
why um, you are having devote? Uh, why can't you adjust? Why can't you do more so that you don't break your family? As if keeping intact family is only women's responsibility, not men's responsibility. And these kind of viewpoints, not only we are seeing in our home countries, India, Pakistan, or Bangladesh, we are also seeing the same thing here. It's my personal opinion. My experiences are going to be different. They are generationally different from you, Jagan, and, and, and Madhu, and, and, and uh, probably slightly culturally different. It was important when I grew up that, and I think my parents' generation actually did a lot of change, uh, made a lot of adjustments because of which uh, things got a lot better. Uh, not great, but better than they were before. My sister was expected to have a professional career. It was an expected thing from her just as much as it was for me. She was supposed to do good in school as much as I was supposed to do that. Although she does tell me that I am my mom's favorite child, so I don't know about that, but I'm sure she has experienced some differences. The gender stuff that gets stuck in your head would be around women have to do all the cooking and the washing of dishes and washing of clothes. You know, men work and listen to sports. Uh, you know, TV was not that common when I grew up. <laughs> so there was no watching of sports then. A reaction, as Nandini, you said about divorce, very negative, but the burden of that was mm-hmm. on women. It was never on men at all. It was, please, you go in and you just take it and keep the family together entirely on women. And big family discussions, uh, and when I say discussions, I mean heated discussions, you would see that men were meant to be talking and women would just have to kind of share their thoughts with their spouse. If women provided any kind of an opposing opinion, it was kind of looked down upon. That's generally what, you know, growing up looked to me before I went to college, I spent some time in Delhi. That's when I actually experienced what, what Madhu is talking about. And I have an interesting anecdote on this one. Kind of gives a view. Again, this is decades ago, Madhu, so things didn't change. I was in line in a bus. There was a queue. But when the bus was late for a couple of hours, everybody ran to jump in. I did too. There's like a gazillion people just trying to climb in. And there was a woman in front of me and some as they were climbing because you know there were people on the right left everywhere somebody must have done something she turned around and the only face she saw was me and she slapped me and i was like wow <laughs> so i was new in delhi those days i was shocked i was thinking oh shoot i don't want to go in the bus uh but i, I was late so i had to go in the bus so i went in and i sat down and I, was, I was just extremely ashamed I hadn't done anything, but, you know, it looked awful. And there's a person who sat next to me, an older gentleman, and he said, you know, look at that girl, stabbed some poor guy, has no manners. He didn't recognize me, but he knew the woman. He made a comment on the woman. I was not the cause. Somebody else was not the cause. It was her fault. And, mm-hmm. you know, that stuck with me. This is, we were talking about the 80s. It was, it was like, ah, oh, that was awful. That was awful. And uh, coming to Bay Area, and that's, you know, my experiences are some in Houston and most of everything in Bay Area. It's a lot different. A good chunk of the community that I interact with, the women are professional women. 
they have a different view of, of life. And so, you know, it's a very different kind of a construct here. And because we are all here adjusting to a very different kind of life, people walk away from some of the structures that exist. But one thing, and this again, this, this is about 30 years ago, with, you know, I did not like and I did not engage in those kind of gatherings at all. We used to, as a community, get together in each other's homes. A large group, you know, it would be like 10, 15 families would eat, talk about it. And I remember going to one of those in one of my good friend's home, and I entered with my wife. The women were in another room completely, and men were in one room. My wife and I just, you know, when are gathering together, we are hanging together. <laughs> That's not who she is. So she sat with me in that room with no women, and it felt odd. It's the entire, you know, few hours, it felt incredibly odd. Now, you know, people congregate together, men and women talk about different things, kind of makes sense, but it felt to me very awkward because in any other setting, any other non-South Asian setting, this doesn't happen. There's a natural congregation. Mm-hmm. Maybe women do get together, but generally there's mixing, there's back and forth happening. I also experienced, I had acquaintances. I have friends who had friends. There was a norm of spousal abuse. I remember hearing that and we had to kind of do something in a friend circle. You know, I, I would think it would happen in India and not here, but I was just shocked that the ability that somebody here would actually go in and feel free to hit their spouse, right? Actually, and that happened again. This is this is twenty five years ago, so I just you know th- that completely just uh, surprised me. So uh, I'm hoping I have not experienced that now. I don't hear about a lot of that now in my circle, but it, this was very close. This was a, the childhood friend and his friend. This is like a, you know, one degree of separation. Hey, Jeet, can I ask you a quick question? Uh, I think you shared very interesting thoughts. And given, like you said, you know, we come from a different, for a lack of better word, generation. How do you see these things have changed with, you know, your boys, your girls, not just within your family, but the perspectives outside in the community? Because I think Jagan and I are just talking as individuals. It'll be interesting to kind of know how you see it as a parent. So I have boys and girls. It's been very interesting. My wife and I have kind of decided to just raise them not in a very traditional way. So they are growing up as American as you can get. The part that was very interesting to me was, I want you to know that I have to sit and struggle with the idea, right? There are things that men just do, including me and, you know, in my early youth, right? You sit back, you behave, you think a certain way, and hopefully you are becoming better and better person. The thing that really was very interesting to me was, was my son was a teenager and he was very interested in a girl in the class and they were friends and he wanted to ask her out. And as a parent, without thinking too much, I said, well, you know, you should just ask her out. And his comment was, I do not want to put her in any uncomfortable position. If she makes the move, that will be better. And I was just delighted with an answer like that. It showed how short-sighted and limited thinking I had. And I think that 
norm of how men interact with women was heartening to me because I haven't seen that growing up at all, right? The stories, our movies is very different. So, you know, it's not that we haven't taught these kids, right? You know, I, I think we just tell them, you know, study, be a good person. I will promise you haven't taught him how to interact. We just have to say, you know, treat people well. And this answer was the best answer I could expect from my son. And my, my girls, right, have experienced, you know, stupid stuff as girls, unfortunately, have experienced for centuries, right? So they get that and they come in and, uh, you know, sometimes share with me, sometimes choose not to. But my boy is younger than my girls, much younger. So I think there is a shift. I see. I feel there is a shift. Thank you for sharing your personal experience, Jit. And what I'm hearing that something we are seeing uh, is changing, shifted, and something really uh, is not changing at all. Like you are sharing some stories where uh, that are 30 years back, 25 years back, and we are seeing the same trend now in this year too. For example, when you shared the story of you being slapped by a woman misunderstandingly, here I am seeing that the same misconception, misunderstanding gap between genders are still there. So many times in our conversation with Trinity members, many times we see that people automatically assume that men are abusers, always men are Mm -hmm. abusers, and women are victims. But we are getting calls from men who are abused by their partners. So that misunderstanding that, okay, so maybe that lady slapped you because it, it, she saw a male face. Maybe uh, she wouldn't slap a girl if she saw a woman standing in front of her. So that is misunderstanding. That gap is still there. So that gender gap, we need to uh, you know communicate with between genders that not all men are bad, not all women are good. So there are, you know, this spectrum and we have to find out, we have to continuously work on rectifying our our views, our misunderstanding, our biases. We have to recognize our own biases so that we can have a good gender relationship. And I'm also, you know, as a, as a moderator, I'm seeing that all three of you, uh, when you, are, you shared your stories, I'm seeing some commonalities in there. All, all four, of, four of us are from different backgrounds, different personal experiences. Our upbringings are different. Our age, our uh, you know, language, religion may be different. But still, I'm seeing some commonalities. I'm ho- I'm, I hope that you are seeing that too. Sometimes I think that in today's world, we see immense progress has been made in communication technology and scientific innovations, but we have not made enough progress in various areas. We still see deprivation, discrimination, subordination, marginalization, and disparity in human relationships. And I think among all forms of marginalization, gender inequalities demand special attention as it is related to all kinds of gender abuse. But this is my personal view. Uh, I would like to know your thoughts. That Do you think, have you seen um, uh, evidence that the oppressive patriarchal gender roles uh, that are strongly prescribed or standard in our South Asian communities correlate or lead to more abuse in families? I would say yes. But again, my, as I said, I think generationally I'm older, so, you know, things are, I 
hope better a little bit, maybe not a lot. The expectation, right? So I know firsthand uh, in my uh, extended family, if the woman does not know how to cook, it started as mockery, denigration, and eventually went into abuse. Now, it's possible that the male involved was of that mindset, was of that thinking, but there was a license to do it because there's these expectations that the woman has to do these things. And if the woman can't do these things well, then it's her fault. Now, again, I'm using woman and man because that's the stuff I've seen. So I think there is a somewhat awful link between gender norms that are expected and abuse that gets perpetrated because of that. Yeah, I agree with that. You know, traditional gender roles and characteristics like the man earning the bread and the woman taking care of the kids, maybe our hangover from the hunter-gatherer days, is not adequate for the modern world. That stereotype, again, may be embraced by some couples willingly, and that's great. But when the stereotype does not work for a couple, and there is societal pressure for the woman to fit in a certain type of role or personality. And when this is enforced by the man who is, by social gender norms, the dominant gender, that starts becoming, uh, you know, oppressive. And I think that kind of a situation, uh, lead, unfortunately, but naturally lead to gender abuse. So the expectation that, you know, gender norms will feel like the natural world order is really unjust to everyone, but especially to the women. And here, I think it's also important to remember gender at the end of the day is a social construct, a useful construct, but something we have made up in our minds and as a society. So in graduate school, I remember I had this professor explain on how gender is a very fluid thing. Male and female are ill-defined points on a spectrum of gender. So forcing gender norms, which inherently have an undercurrent of you know, power inequality between the male and female, will inevitably, I think, lead to oppression and abuse. Yeah, I think I agree with what Jagan and Jeet have mentioned. And if I can just a little bit extend on what Jagan has mentioned, I feel like the concept of having norms itself for a society is not bad because I think it builds some structure. It does give some structure and for society to operate, you need some structure. But I think the problem comes when those one, those norms don't change with time. And when those norms are forcefully, quote unquote, if I can say, templatized. So what I mean is we have certain gender norms. We say, okay, a woman has to be XYZ, a man has to be ABC. And then we kind of force that onto a person. So if that person is not XYZ, then you begin to judge them, uh, you know, and you force them saying, oh, you are something else. You have to be XYZ. So go fit into that template. And I think that's where the problem comes. And the second thing is uh, also constantly thinking about, okay, these norms to Jagan's point may have made sense 40 years ago, 50 years ago. The fact that women stayed back, man was the breadwinner made sense 40, 50 years ago because families were big. There were more kids. So, you know, it's some, somewhere as a, as a family unit or as a society, we said, okay, we have to divide and conquer the responsibility. So one person goes, one person stays back. Maybe it made sense at that era. But if you're going to take the same norms and say, okay, in the 21st century, the same thing has to apply and I won't change my norms with time. That's where the problem comes. So I think we have to constantly keep evolving. And being up to date with the function of time, I think, is extremely critical here. 
in this era if a woman is thinking i am happy being a mom and housewife and husband is happy going outside or on break if they have respect and understanding in their relationship there shouldn't be any problem i mean society also shouldn't force that woman that hey in your age everybody is going out and you know earning money why you are sitting at home so no one has any right to disrespect that woman if that woman is choosing to be as homemaker or as a mom as a wife uh, we should respect that and that's the main thing that if there is no respect in relationship no understanding and uh, dignity in that relationship that then comes the problem I yeah. absolutely agree with that because that would just be another form of exactly totally that yes. we are enforcing. You know? and, and in this case, we are still templatizing, right? We are still saying yeah. that oh, as a woman, you have to do X, Y, Z. But if a woman doesn't do X, Y, Z, you, we begin to judge. So I think yeah. it's a different kind of a problem. Yeah. So in your generation, everyone is going out and earning money. Why are you sitting home? That is not acceptable. So what I'm hearing, one point is clear that all of us we're seeing. there is some connection between patriarchal gender norms gender role expectations and gender abuse or gender violence whether it is within family within households or outside and one thing also clear that we we all need to challenge those norms those that, that are uh, an attitude that are that justify gender violence or partner violence so now now the question comes that how to change harmful cultural norms that create toxic masculinity that create that support uh, power dynamics in partner relationships and cause gender violence and abuse what we can do to promote healthy respectful relationships and behavior that value others whether you know inside the family in intimate partner relationships or with your colleagues with your co-workers with your friends but how do we do that in our day to day life Let me kind of talk about things that we did. So my wife has worked on and off. She freelance. There was a time she and I were both working in a startup, and she came home one day. She said, "Kids need more time," and she quit and she stayed home for that. That freedom of either spouse to be able to make a call when to work, when not to work, is important. what we did interestingly enough and we made this call really early in our marriage she does the finances in our home now i i started i was the first person you know when i when we started i was doing the money thing and i remember this mindset where you know i would watch my mom you know asking my dad saying hey i need this money and he would kind of dole out and you know there'd be some conversation I didn't like that dynamic. I you know, it was okay, there was nothing wrong in that. Uh I just didn't like it. So we switched a couple of core behaviors. So she does the money, she manages expenditure, what needs to be done, she owns the accounts, everything. I do laundry. We both do dishes, we both cook depending on time. So that swap of things that are generally, you know, I don't know traditionally if you think it's not just in South Asian families but even here in the West, that norm breaking is kind of important. You know, my kids expect me to do laundry. They will come to me and say, "Okay, you know, are my clothes ready?" And I am hoping that that mindset changes because I think 
it's important. You know, I will give you my work experience. My first real job was was at Apple, and this is 1989, long, long, long time ago. And there were not a lot of women in the company. I was probably one of three or four South Asian people in the company. My boss was a woman. Her boss was a woman. I had a very good colleague, a woman colleague, uh, engineer. And having that thing so early in my career, clearly I have to give credit to my mom and my sister for changing my thinking, but it was very important to see women in power. So seeing women in a bit of a changes, I'm sure, right? I'm sure it changed my thinking about women at work completely. I think breaking these norms in society, whether it's at home or it's at work, is so foundationally important. It's not just for women to see other women. It's for men to see other women in that role. You know, it's very important to me that in a very competitive tech market, you have to be very aggressive in pushing your career through. You have to be that way. You have to want it. You have to ask for it. You have to push it. And almost always, women who get into those roles are seen differently than men. Men are seen ambitious. Women are not seen ambitious. They are seen negatively. So it's been very important for me over the years to be able to see and support women in those roles. And it's not easy even today. You want to be able to say that 30 years ago when I saw these women in really strong, powerful roles at Apple, that 30 years later, things would be easy. And I can tell you that it's not easy even today. And you have to actively work to change the thinking. And having women in power is important so that it changes, right? I don't know how to talk about what else to do, but I'm just giving you a glimpse of my view on home and work. And I would add here that it's not an individual responsibility alone. We cannot do anything. It has to be, you know, all of us, all community members, whether and family members, community members, teachers, policy makers, everyone, uh, we have to work in, in a collective way to bring that change, to bring that shift happen. So otherwise, you know, if one woman is aggressive or wants to try, go ahead, nothing is happening if the family member is not. The, uh, her family members are not supporting her. She's not getting any support from her own network and uh, the corporate network as well as uh, her peers. If I have to break this question into maybe at three levels, right? What we can do as an individual, what we can do at, you know, wherever we all work, places of our work and what we can do as a community. So I think at an individual level, it's very important, I think, to be aware of our biases we call it the unconscious bias it's easier said than done but i also don't think it's impossible to do i think i consider myself lucky i've had the luxury of discussing these things with my husband vignesh and sometimes we actually catch each other in our own biases for example i have been honestly in situations when i've seen women quitting their careers because they have family responsibilities it's kind of my pet peeve if i can say that in some sense, you know, I, I begin to question, why are women doing this? Like, why should they do this? I start to ask all these questions and Vignesh kind of steps in and pauses there and say, maybe it's their choice, right? So, so as I was talking about my idea of templatize, he's caught me saying, maybe you are templatizing, you know, mm. so just take a pause. 
and I've done the same to him. So I think it's very important at an individual level to be open to people pointing out, maybe you're biased and be open to thinking, oh, maybe I am. And how can I change that? So I think that's very core and fundamental. And I think one way to kind of solve for that is taking the effort to surrounding ourselves with people who are very different from ourselves. Because if we only surround ourselves with people who are similar to us, there is a concept in psychology, I think we call it echo chambers. Basically, if you have people who think very similar to you and think exactly the way you are, they just echo your thoughts. So you don't get the opportunity to widen your perspectives. I think at an individual level, that's very key. And at a work level, given my profession, this is something that I very, very actively work on. One thing that's very important to Jeet's point to do is constantly thinking about where can we be an ally and not being afraid to changing the status quo. So if it means that you're in a work meeting and a colleague is making some gender-based conclusions or comments, call them out. It's very important to do that. And the second thing to do is also to ask some very thoughtful questions, right? You can always ask questions like, have we looked at all the data? What might we be overlooking? Or what more information would you need to change your belief? So the more these kind of open questions when we ask, it opens up the door for discussions at work and you are not subconsciously concluding something because of someone's gender. And when I say gender, it doesn't have to be male, female. It can be like we just discussed some time ago, gender need not be binary. And at a community level, I think we should focus on more allyship by more listening and engaging conversations exactly like what we're doing now and not vehemently proving your point. It's not going to take us anywhere if we are focused on one side is wrong and one side is right. I think we have to walk to the middle ground and the only way to do it is actually listening and engaging in conversation. And in this context, I also want to share something that I recently read in this book called The Person You Mean to Be, where they talk about a 20-60-20 rule. So when you're talking about bringing people along, you know, bringing allies with you for a cause, it's always assumed that there are going to be 20% of the population on the left who are not going to agree with you. And there are going to be 20% population on the right who will agree with you. So the key thing to focus on is that middle 60. How can you sway that middle 60 to the right and not focus on getting the entire population because that's practically impossible. So I think this was a really good framework that I've learned in the recent past as I'm talking to somebody, really thinking about are you falling in that left 20 or are you falling in the middle 60? Then I can put as much effort to get you along. So I think these are my thoughts in terms of how as a community we can take some accountability in challenging gender norms. I completely agree with Madhu and Jeet on this. I think this is the, you know, probably the most important question. What can we do as a differently as a generation? I think in our families, we should acknowledge and educate our friends and children about gender norms and their issues as they grow up. I think identifying these issues explicitly will prepare all of us to address them. And I think this is where the role of men comes in. We have to be the champions of equality as well. Men have to join the cause for the women to fight the unjust. And that is, uh, I think, a fundamental part of this uh, movement and this uh, for this to be a real change. I think we should also remember that equity doesn't mean equality. 
you know, even if everyone forgets about these traditional gender norms today and starts treating boys and girls as equal, we still have work to do to bridge the gap that has already been created because of all the opportunities that were made unavailable to women. That's, uh, you know, one thing I think in terms of helping bridging this gap, uh, the one thing I can think of is the role of female role models. I can elaborate uh, with an example from science. Uh, so my wife, Vaishali, is a scientist today, but when she grew up, she did not have any famous you know, role models for women scientists. I mean, yes, there was Mary Curie, but not a very relatable example, someone she knows personally or she's seen and talked to. And this is true of all of us. When we think of a scientist, we automatically think of absent-minded male professor and Albert Einstein, uh, which is not wrong. But not having role models uh, really does a disservice to women, I think. It was much harder for Vaishali to be able to imagine and create a career as a scientist than it was for me to do the same. And we both grew up in similar communities. But I think now that she has become one, she can serve as a relatable role model for the next generation. For the next aspiring girl in the family or community growing up, a female scientist will no longer be an unrelatable ideal, but just one of the several careers she can choose from. And I think that's really something. Every small success in this field, this way of reversing gender norms, creates this positive feedback loop. So I wonder if that's the way to use the example of successful women around this, like Madhu and her work, right? Can we talk about them as examples and make that an example out of the successful careers that they've had and chip away at the traditional gender norms? And maybe that would contribute to solving the problem. Well, first thing I think that we have to address the stereotypes. We have to break the stereotypes, gender role stereotypes and expectations. And uh, we need to uh, create role models and we need to constantly vigilant of what is going on around us that if we see any injustice, any discrimination, we can point that out. Thank you all for this energizing discussion. Unfortunately, time is up and we have to pause here today. But I'm sure we will bring more discussions on this issue. And I'm positive with multiple community dialogues and collective actions, we will be able to create perceptions, attitudes and practices that are critical to bring gender justice. And you know what, in our community engagement activities at Matthew, we are already seeing some changes happening. I mean, youth are doing their bit to bring the changes. We are hopeful that our future generations will be more gender sensitive. They will know the stereotypes. They will be able to address and do something to break the stereotypes. And they will establish gender equity starting from their own household relationships and eventually they will eliminate gender discrimination and injustice from everywhere. Please remember that you can play a key role in educating and mobilizing your community to eliminate oppressive spectacle discourses and practices. Start from your own home and workplace. See if you can identify any gender discrimination or injustice and then stand firmly, uh, stand firmly against those toxic uh, actions and attitudes. If we want to build a society that is safe and just for all genders, then we must eliminate those harmful cultural conditions that are the main obstacles in ensuring gender equitable relationships within our households and outside. 
Challenging gender norms and creating societal change may seem like a complex task, but if we all do our part, we can make a meaningful impact. We are ending this episode with a lot of hope that all of us will do our part to make our future safe and equal for all genders. Thank you, Madhu and Jagaran, for your time and discussing. Really impactful. Uh, I really enjoyed discussing this, uh, this topic with you. Bye for now. Stay safe and keep listening to the Mercy Podcast between Faint Conversation with Mercy. Find all our episodes on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, Google, Spotify, and other podcast apps. Please like, share, and comment. Thank you. Thank you so much. Bye. This show is for informational purposes only and is not to be construed as legal advice. Always consult an attorney for legal advice. Views expressed by guests of the radio show are individual opinions and not endorsed by Maidri.